Philip Washington Jr. is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and, unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And now, here's Philip. All right. Hey, I'm doing a special live episode today. It's going on the podcast. The full episode's also going on uh, the YouTube uh, channel, which is Wealth Building Made Simple for both of them. Uh, I was blessed to be able to do a live Q&A seminar for the southwest dallas chapter of delta sigma theta over the weekend it was it was virtual it was zoom lots of great questions answered uh, and we went maybe like an hour and a half but there were there were some questions that uh were not uh answered and so i just said hey listen i'll i'll do my monday episode uh you know re-answering all the questions for everybody and then and then adding uh the questions that were not able to be answered during the seminar and then, you know, I'll send them back the link, but now everybody in the podcast can, um, can, can, you know, can hear the questions and get the answer. So that's what I'm gonna do. I'm just going to go through the questions that I received and answer them. So first question, and, and it was, the questions were broken into different categories. So we, we different generations, uh, are sometimes desiring different things from a financial planning standpoint. So we had the first generation, which is somewhere between 20 and 40 age range. Then we had 40 and 60. Then we had 60 and above. So this is the 20 to 40 uh, questions. So what are the top uh, two or three things that I can do now to be able to retire by 50? And uh, I actually like that question. Uh, this is one of the questions that I did not get to answer uh, in the actual uh, Q&A. And I, th I think I would like to, I encourage people to rethink the word retirement, not because retirement is a bad word, but because it comes with already uh, pre-established limitations that we grew up with around the word retirement. Uh, when, I, when I think of retirement and when most people think of retirement, they think of deferring gratification until, you know, someday in the future where then you can be free, live and, and do what you want. And, um, and, you know, and that's cool. Um, that works. But I think a lot of people would prefer to actually uh, like enjoy life along the way, right? Enjoy the journey versus waiting only, in, you know, to the end to fully enjoy and express life. And so the one key shift would be, hey, uh, what we are seeking when we say we want to retire is really just freedom. Right, really just security. And one of the things that I uh, in, uh, encourage people that may not have $10 million yet or $20 million or $5 million or whatever number uh, they feel like they need to be secure, I explain to them when you get the $10 million or $20 million, uh, it's not going to necessarily make you, uh, the money's not going to make you feel secure. You're going to have to own the feeling to maintain the wealth, meaning. If you have 20 million, 
and you don't or 100 million or i'm just making up some big numbers but if you got some massive amount of money that, that you think would make you feel secure like if, if if you don't own the feeling that's going to become a weight because with that amount of money right you have all kinds of different energies coming that your way energies of lack energies of abundance and if you haven't learned how to calibrate your emotions your feelings your vibrations uh and maintain them at a at a level with lower wealth it's like lifting weights it's going to be harder at a higher weight of wealth and that's why you see a lot of people with a lot of money depressed uh do things that self-sabotage themselves because like the weight of the money um didn't bring the feeling and now they're floundering figuring out like how to find the feeling and all these other things don't own the feeling first but what i'm saying the practical part of that is once you own the the feeling now then you then you make from my perspective maybe like better investment decisions so you think okay um you know if if i were if i were retired quote unquote or financially free today these are the things that i would do with my life then you eliminate all the things you feel like you have to do right so you say hey it's important to me to travel it's important to me to do this it's important to me to do that uh so you rethink oh i don't like i don't i don't have to take this career like i don't have to work this career because with a less strenuous career and a location independent career place even if i took less money i have more of the freedom that i wanted in the first place so i actually can you know i would enjoy work and i'm just giving some examples i would enjoy work more if i was location independent doing something i loved and if i'm location independent i can work a month in new orleans i can work a month in mexico i can work i can work anywhere and a lot of times when you do all that kind of stuff it ends up being net net cheaper right and then you can roll in there oh but i can like also buy property you know in the city that i claim as my primary residence but then airbnb it out because i'm a nomad and i travel a lot and i'm giving you one like specific example of like once you break the shackles of how society says we have to live life you can be free now which which delays the need to have to retire at some future age right you 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 don't you don't have a desire to hurry up and get to 50 uh to enjoy life because like you're enjoying it along the way like you're enjoying the journey the journey is even funner than the quote-unquote destination of financial independence and when it's funner and it's better i like think anything else in your life that's fun where you feel good where you're enjoying it you end up getting to the destination without even really with, with no effort right and so that's what i would encourage uh people who are looking to retire early to do is own the feeling now think from the feeling be inspired from the feeling to action it'll change like the order of your steps and you'll have fun along the way and you will from my perspective most likely get where you want to by 50 uh with less effort and a lot more uh you know a lot more abundance than what you even thought possible because you uh you you were not emitting to the universe of uh, a vibration of black all right next question uh please explain the credit score and how it's determined uh i am i don't pretend to be a credit expert but Here's what I have learned from the credit experts that I know and pick their brains on often. And this is very simple, but it's stuck with me. It, uh, your credit is made up of really three components, right? Uh, your income, uh, which is why if, if it's not a great idea if you're a business owner to write off everything, right? You want to show income if you want to build wealth, because if you want to build wealth using other people's money, you're going to need to borrow money. And, uh, 
and banks like to see income. They don't like lending money to people that don't have high income. Uh, and that income factors into your income to credit, uh, you, you know, credit uh, utilization uh, score. So, so high income is better if you're looking to build wealth from a credit standpoint, which is this is wealth building made simple. So I'm assuming that's the context behind it. Other thing is your credit score, right? What's your credit score? Um, you know, uh, and then the last thing is um, your your payment history, right? How, how uh, you know, uh, are you, um, I'm sorry, not credit history. That's factored into your credit score. But, uh, uh, and we're talking about credit score, but I'm sorry. So in the context of your credit score, like, your uh your payment history do you pay things on time right that's a big factor and then the other one is like utilization right how much of the credit that you have access to do you actually use if you're using too much you know not so great if you if you're using it but not using a you know a big chunk of it the majority of it they like that so those are three factors again I'm not a credit expert just sharing what i know um we'll go to the next question as a young adult my money can get funny <laughs> But I'm interested in jumping into investments. Can I trust penny stocks? Are they worth it? And should I evaluate their value any different than other stocks? So let me explain what penny stocks are in the simple ways. Penny stocks are like turnaround situations. Typically, they're like a dollar or less. But conceptually, they're underappreciated, undervalued companies that people think are no longer relevant. Um, a, a recent example of a penny stock would be maybe something, and it wasn't exactly under a dollar, but GameStop. GameStop was a company that everybody on Wall Street assumed was going out of business. And then all of a sudden, it went up in value a lot in a short period of time and uh, became uh, very relevant. And so uh, when you're when you're investing in anything, whether it's penny stocks or or, or, or big stocks, you, you got to do the work. You got to understand what you're looking at. And you want to understand the principles behind the trend, not just not just reading it on Reddit or saying somebody else is doing it. It's like, OK, do I understand the principles? Right. Uh, and the cool part of, you know, the the opportunity part of penny stocks is Wall Street is no longer looking at it. And so and there's lots of penny stocks. And so if you there's less eyeballs on it, when there's less eyeballs on it, if you get it right, you can make a lot of money. But if you get it wrong, you know, you, you have a lot of dead money. And so uh, you would have had to have been really paying attention to what's going on in the gaming industry and then understood uh GameStop's valuation relative to the plan of the new management that came into place um, uh, but some people saw hey, they had new management they had researched the management's ideas they understood that gaming was a was a was a future big trend and they figured GameStop was a great way to position themselves for the big trend because of all the assets GameStop already had combined with the trend and the new management and so those who bet won um you know, really, really well on that penny stock. But the point is like, you know, do do your work and there's plenty of opportunities to make money um, uh, in that space. But if you don't do your work, you're going to get hurt even more in that space than if you're just doing regular boring investing. Uh, next question. What is the minimum amount I should invest while I'm in college? Here's the here's the rule. There are there, there are no rules. I think uh, during the uh, conversation on Saturday during the seminar, I talked about how my oldest child is already into editing the stop motions, has a YouTube video without his name on it, uh, but that he that he creates stuff uh, and gets views and nobody knows it's him. Uh, and he's and he's very good uh, honing the craft, honing the art. Uh, I, you know, as his father, I know that uh, his generation 
is going to know more about me than the future, uh, about the future than me, because they're literally building it like they are the future. It comes from their ideas and their brains, and he's in it all day with his friends, and he's a part of it. And so I try to allow him to create and express itself and not judge the future generation. But by doing that, what I've what I intuitively knew and what I'm learning is that he's going to uh, have skills relative to like the economy that that he's going to grow up in. Right. And and so here's here's my point. Um, I have uh, put in his mind to and this is like going to happen because he's in tune with where things are going by the time he's in high school instead of going to go get a job pushing carts something like i did at walmart he's very likely going to have a, a you know video youtube podcast editing business that's probably going to bring him in at 40 50 60, a year while he's in high school working part-time outside of sports because it doesn't take him much time to do it like he's a master at it and you can there's all kinds of sites where you can uh, uh post um what you do like Fiverr or whatever and get jobs and do things. And he'll, he knows how to create on YouTube and social media so he can attract the clients because he does it natively. So when he's ready, he'll be able to make the money. My point is by the time he gets to college, college for since, since the school system moves slower uh, than the internet uh, as a system, um, uh, at least from, from my perspective, from my kids and what, for our kids and what we're doing, is we they're going to be ahead of the curve for education. So when he goes to college, it's not necessarily going to be to learn skills to make money. The money's going to be already kind of making it. If he goes to college, it's going to be for just more knowledge for whatever he wants to do. My point is there are no rules. And so the 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 premise behind the question is assuming that when you get to college, you have to like not be making any money. I'm like that's all changing, right? Kids that are embracing new economy are going to be making money in high school and making money in college. And they can invest as much as they want to, right? They can, you know, it, it, because the cost of living is going to be relatively low when they're early on, they can invest the majority of, of, of their money. Uh, and that, that could be a good thing, but, but the go, but there is no answer, right? There are no rules. Invest what you can invest and uh, do your best to, to internally come up with that number versus looking around and um, deciding what you should be doing based on what others are doing in society. Because if, because based on what others are doing in society, most people don't have any money in society. So we definitely don't want to do that. Uh, should I get student loans to pay for in incidentals if I am not working? Uh, you know, I'm speaking from my perspective because I was, when I was in college, I, um, I was, financially on my own for most of college and so uh i was what i, I were i was where i where i was in my development and i uh, i didn't have a very strong money consciousness mind um and so when i had emergencies pop up i had to use student loans to, to to pay for them because that's where i was right in my process and things worked out um you know hindsight's always 2020 but the, the point of this question is like um, I always say, do your best to not borrow for, uh, incidentals, but if you're like in an emergency and this is, this is the resource that is apparent to what you feel you need in the moment, then you got to, right? This is, I don't, I don't, the, the, I don't think the question was saying, should I borrow money to go party? It was like, it's an emergency. I need money. Sound like the person's on their own. And so, uh, yeah, in that situation, you got to do what you got to do. Um, next question. Would it be better to develop a small business 
or get a job while I'm in college? Yes, absolutely. My previous question um, uh, answered that because the cool thing is like the the ability to make money is, you know, I feel like it's always relative to your perspective, but even, but in the internet, it's I feel like it's even easier, right? Because um, life presents more and more opportunity as we evolve as a species. All right, so th that was the 20 to 40, or really the college topics for folks in the early years. Uh, here is the 40 to 60 year old questions that came up. So, uh, and by the way, all these questions apply to anybody in any generational age. This is just how it was grouped. Uh, but is investing in my company's 401k the best strategy secure to secure my retirement or should I invest on my own? Uh, I don't like uh, general advice. Uh, and even the word best to me is tricky because best is relative to, you know, your plan and uh, the, the, the life you're painting. So is it a is it a good strategy? Yeah. Uh, is it the best strategy? I don't know. Uh, it depends. But I want to give an answer that's going to be um, good. So like I think I think a lot of people I think a 401k and that type of investing strategy is similar to the word retirement where it puts you know, it's put a lot of people into the box of saying, hey, this is where the majority of my savings has to go for retirement. And rarely when I talk to somebody, when they want to talk about the philosophy of how I like to plan, how to how to learn to own the feeling of freedom and then think from that state, rarely does that lead people to want to lock up a big chunk of their money until they're basically 60 and not be able to access it for different things. And so I think at the very least, once you think through what you want, I think a big people, a big chunk of people will unlock uh, wanting to put a big chunk of their savings into a retirement plan that's locked up until 60. Now, you know, companies match. The match is good. Do the match. Um, any money that you uh, want to lock up until 60, you know, go ahead. But a lot of people are, um, once they understand, think through that, they, they like to use other things like brokerage accounts, real estate, things that are flexible. Uh, that they can save money into, um, that they could use for collateral, you know, for other investments, or they can use to access the money uh, for business ideas, you know, along the way. And or if they are in a position financially to where they have enough investment income coming in from their investments uh, before 60 or 59 and a half, which is, which is the 401k rules, they can access that money without penalties and taxes. Um, which is not what they can do in the 401k plan. And so that's, that's, that's my answer for, for October 31st, 2022. Next question. What is a comfortable but profitable risk level for someone in their forties and early fifties? Just like the previous question. I don't think there's a general answer. Uh, it's, it, you know, I think of risk tolerance like faith, right? And everybody has different levels of faith. Uh, based on like their experience in life, right? Is it easy to have faith when you uh, don't know as much, right? When you're youthful. Uh, and when I say no, I mean no in air quotes. Um, sure, right? Is it is it a tougher process to unlearn a lot of, you know, negative triggers you learn throughout life as you get older so you can maintain a lot of faith? Absolutely, right? Or, you know, when I'm 50, or is my risk tolerance relatively higher than most people who are in the age range of 40, you know, my similar age range? Absolutely, right? 
but my faith is strong because you know I have I understand the principles right and the knowledge, but I'm just an optimistic person in general anyway. Um, and so uh, and so you know there is no there is no answer. Uh, I think I think what you want to also do though, just like with faith, right? You don't want to you don't want to try to you don't want to do anything that you don't have faith in yourself in right so if you if you're about to encounter a task and you don't believe in yourself you probably shouldn't do it you probably should work on like the belief in yourself first before you do it because if you do something that you don't believe in <laughs> you're probably going to fail um, so same as investing right if you take if you invest in a portfolio that has too high of a risk tolerance or that is that is more faith than what you can handle it's probably going to be disastrous right so you want to uh you know, open, be open to the way you feel, like feel how you feel. If that's how you feel and you don't have the level of faith that you feel like you want, cool, start there and then work on your faith over time. And as you raise your faith, you'll be able to raise your risk tolerance, which will raise your potential expected return over time and the amount of money you can make potentially. If an employer does not have a 401k or a 403b that I can benefit from, what would you suggest as a good investment strategy? In a previous answer, I mentioned brokerage account. Uh, that's like a, an account. Some people, some technical term is individual account or joint account if you're married. But it's an account that has no restrictions. It's uh, accessible and available. Uh, you can put as much money as you want to. You can take money out when you want to. Um, it, it doesn't have the tax benefits of a 401k or a Roth IRA, um, uh, but it's taxed very similar to like you know every like a business or real estate. If you have a gain and it's more than 12 months. You pay long-term capital gains tax, which is shorter. If it's less than 12 months and you have a gain, you pay short-term capital gains tax, which, which is like ordinary income. Or you talk to your CPA. They're the experts on all that kind of stuff. But the tax is treated just like all other uh, you know, property or assets that are non-tax uh, advantaged, like 401ks and retirement accounts uh, provide. Um, but, but the trade-off, for not having tax benefits is the flexibility um so that's that's an that's a good option out and you also have businesses you also have real estate uh, you also um yeah we'll stick there i keep it super i keep it simple how do i avoid the irs labeling my side business as a hobby and still be able to pay little to no taxes uh, that's going to be a question for your cpa that's above my pay grade uh, next question, what are good investment vehicles to save for my children's college expenses? So th I, I think people should save wherever they feel comfortable saving. Uh, you know, a lot of people think of or heard of 529 plans. And those are cool. Think of them like Roth IRAs, but for education. So meaning you put money in, uh, the money that you put in is, 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 um, can grow. And you don't have to pay tax on the growth. And when you take it out, if it's used for qualified educational expenses, uh, you can uh, pay for it tax-free. Any money that's in there that's not for qualified educational expenses, you uh, you got to pay a penalty on to get the money out. So I don't love that, right? That that kind of stuff reminds me of like taking my kids to Chuck E. Cheese, right? It, it's cool. It's a cool spot or main event, right? That's cool. What I don't love is the fact that... uh. Uh, you got to buy these tokens, right? You can't use real money because when, and when you buy the tokens, I, almost, I always leave with, with money on the card that never gets spent, right? So I got like cards that's been in there for like a decade or that we accumulate over the decade with probably $20, $30, $40 on it 
on all the little cards that we never used. And so A, 529 plans leave uh, that opportunity there because I write my kids based on my plan will probably make enough money to pay for their college. They may not need college. I'm, I'm, I want to save money and I want to give it to them, but I want to give it to them to aid them in their financial growth, which may or may not mean college. And, 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 and specifically in the context of the history right now, where we have the landscape of everything changing, right? We're changing the way we do commerce, changing what we call money, right? Education and healthcare is next. And so, and we, and, and you can spot the problem that, you know, you can see that the math is not adding up for people going to college, paying, racking up 150 grand in debt and coming up making $40,000 a year, right? Sometimes even with a master's degree. And so the, like the people in the system are beautiful, wonderful, amazing. I love them. Uh, they're doing the best they can. The system, there's a problem with the system. So the system is going to get changed and right. Like everything else is not, and it's not people that built the system are bad. It's just in the, in the world we live in, things have life and death cycles, economies, people, the weather, the, um, you know, uh, the area, right. Definitely institutions that we build, the homes we build, right. You know, like these things like get old and outdated from an ideological, ideological standpoint and have to get updated. And so, so for me, understanding what's going on from a fossil nine standpoint, I don't like the idea of locking up money into something that is, I can only use towards a changing system. And when, by the time my kids get there, I may not, that may not be the route that we want to spend the money. And I may want to give my son the money to go to an incubator and incubate some ideas he has on a new startup that can make him a multi-billionaire. Nowadays, probably a trillionaire, right? So just thought um, that goes back to the idea of the brokerage account or real estate, the same things that uh, people can invest in for their retirement outside of a retirement plan are the same things they can invest in for their kids for education. Um, and I'll throw in here now, I had a question about a UTMA account that came up and it's the same rule. A UTMA account is a unified trust minor account or something like that. Um, but it's, it's, it's like a 529 plan, but even more restrictive. So it goes into the same category, right? You can use it. I'm not a big fan of restrictions. Next question. So this is for the 60 and up generation, uh, these questions. Uh, is long-term care insurance something that I should obtain? Uh, it depends. Uh, I know people don't want to be insurance poor. Matter of fact, insurance becomes a big part of retirees' expenses, or at least medical expenses become a big part of their uh, uh expenses in retirement. And so you don't want to be insurance poor, but what I like to do when my kids, when my kids, <laughs> when my clients are about, uh, uh, I got to get out of college planning mode. My mind's still in college planning mode. We're talking about retirement. So when my clients are, uh, maybe 45, 50, you know, we start stress testing their financial plan for like a long-term care event. So we may say, okay, what if you need care for five years, 10 years uh, in retirement in your later years, how much would that cost you? And would that eat up all the money in your portfolio? And if it doesn't, and they have plenty of money to absorb all kinds of other things that we can't plan for, then I'm like, hey, you don't have to get long-term care insurance. But if if it will become a problem, they will need it, then I recommend getting long-term care insurance uh, to protect that and buying it as early as possible because the younger you buy, the cheaper it is. If you wait until, you know, if you're 60 and you're looking at it, 
and 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 this is when we met and we stressed that you're playing and you don't have enough money for it then it just makes sense to get it because you don't have enough time to save for it um sometimes if we catch it in the 50s 40s 50s they could save for it uh, and not need the insurance and so it depends you got to run through your financial plan see if you can absorb the cost and if you can't and you can buy the insurance and it's not cost prohibitive then it makes sense to buy it next question what portfolio makeup would be recommended for a retiree or one that is contemplating retiring soon to ensure uh, they could have enough money throughout retirement? So here's the interesting part about retirement planning for people who are close to or at retirement before, right? Before for the previous generations when bonds were, you know, 7%, 6% plus uh, when we didn't have these low global bond rates. I mean, you, you could, you could take you could take a bond that was paying eight percent, which bonds are, you know, uh, riskless at, or you know, risk, low risk assets. You can take a bond paying four percent. Let's say you got a million. Let's, let's use some real numbers. You have a million dollars, and you invest that million dollars in mostly bonds, and the bonds are paying you eighty grand a year, eight percent. Well, you can withdraw four percent a year, forty thousand a year, and then reinvest the other forty thousand so that your portfolio keeps pace with the cost of living. Um, and you can live a fantastic, phenomenal retirement, you know, for 20, 30, however many years, right? This was the old way before rates have been extremely low, like they have been over the last 10, 15 years, maybe even 20 years. Um, but that was the way before, before where we are right now, when we had a global, all this global debt. Today, we have so much debt, you you can no longer do that plan. And so you have to have a good chunk of your portfolio and what's considered like risk assets or assets that are betting on the future. And so that that's stocks uh, at the very least, right? Crypto, if you're feeling froggy, uh, specifically Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is the more risky of the crypto um, from, from my perspective, but um, you're going to have some, have to have some risk assets in the portfolio to fight off inflation because when most investors are thinking um, about risk, they only think about short-term market fluctuation, right? The market goes down, like what happened in the last year. Yeah, that's a risk, but that's a short-term risk. That's that's a risk if you need to spend money now, right? If you if you're going to be alive ten years from now, twenty years from now, thirty years from now, then having your money in like cash or things that do well in this type of market when when the market goes down, those are terrible for the long term because of inflation, right? The cost of living continues to go up. And so the assets that do well against the cost of living go up are risk assets, which is stocks, you know, uh, uh, cor- you know, corporate bonds. You know, uh, we'll see how crypt- crypto's done well over that. Um, but 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 what you, what you consider risk assets, and so uh, so you're gonna so retirees are gonna have to have those, right? You can also layer in re- real estate too if you want to, right? It provides income. You know, there's risk associated with it, but the the new retiree is going to have to embrace more volatility than previous generations to make sure they don't run out of money at 92. And so that's a uh, that is going to require a unique balance of a good team with sound principles, with faith, marrying that with quality of life, right? Because it's really important to also when you get to retirement, not not be invested in a way where you can't even enjoy life right so there's a balance and there's no easy answer to give you know 
in mass to people like it's a one-on-one relationship oriented uh hey if you got to borrow the energy of your wealth manager to feel good conversation feel good but it's a uh you know it's a process um as an established adult what is your recommendation for the top three or four investment tools that an individual should have in place to be considered well diversified yielding multiple streams of income huh, that's a great question uh this is I like the idea of having money in, you know, a globally diversified stock portfolio, have some bonds in there, have a, have some Bitcoin, you know, uh, crypto in there. Um, y'all know, y'all know I'm a Bitcoin guy, but Bitcoin, crypto in there, um, and real estate. I mean, those are, those are, the f- you know, four major assets outside of owning a business, but stocks are ownership in a business, um, that you can have that provides you diversification. And I feel over time will allow you to have your wealth spread out enough in a way to where, um, you know, you'll, you, you will net net love the position you'll be in over time, assuming you did things right in the categories properly. What are some good supplemental income opportunities that allow flexibility in my lifestyle, a business, a lifestyle business, uh, and or seek employers that are operating like a 2022 and that value uh, getting the work done over micromanagement which there's become a, there's going to become a bifurcation of employers and all the talent is going to flow to employers that uh, allow individuals to be free uh be grown-ups don't be micromanaged but get the work done and that is going to be uh that's an opportunity for those that lean in and a detriment to those that try to hold on to the past. Are annuities good investments? It depends. Uh, let me let me describe how I explain annuities. Um, annuities are, think of it like if, you know, I like peaches, right? Uh, peaches taste great to me uh, and, you know, I enjoy them. Um, I, I even think my wife found this really good uh, uh, peach ice cream that tastes great but let's say i had a peach tree and the peach tree provided all the peaches that we need for the year and all i do is take care of the tree and then you know if there was a point where i decided how hey, like i really don't want to take care of the tree anymore uh, i want to just like have the money to buy peaches and enjoy the peaches you know there's a company that maybe can knock on my door and say hey we'll take your peach tree and we'll just in exchange for your peach tree send you enough money to go buy peaches every every year Right. That's kind of like an annuity. Annuity says, hey, the company says, hey, if you have a million dollars, well, you got to manage that million dollars to provide you the income that you need, you know, for the rest of your for this year and for the rest of your life. Uh, or you can give the million dollars to an insurance company and they're going to say, hey, we'll pay you X amount every single month for as long as you live. Right. But then, you know, after that, you know, the peach, the 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 the, the peach tree and or the amount of money saves the insurance company. They, they may pay out, you know, for the life of your survivor. For a period of time but the point is um the tree isn't yours they're providing you income for the tree um, but the tree is uprooted and so if you're comfortable with that arrangement then annuity is right for you if you're not which a lot aren't it may not be and a lot of times it's not as simple as a cut and dry you know all or nothing right it may make sense to do a combination of some like have a little bit you know give up a, maybe you have 10 trees maybe you give up three and you keep seven Right. Because, you know, you get some stability of income and you don't got to worry about that 
we're taking care of those three trees, but you can take care of the seven and pass those to the next generations while you continue to eat the fruit as you take care of them. So, uh, you know, it depends, right? Uh, I think the deciding factor is how much peace of mind you need. There are some people that just the market scares the heck out of them and they need to have a big chunk of their income that's guaranteed. And if social security and a pension plan is not enough, they're going to probably need some of, you know, some of that money in an annuity. So it depends. Do I still need to invest once I retire? What are good investments when, I know, when I'm no longer working? Uh, I, th I think I kind of answered that question on the retiree portfolio, but yes, you still need to invest because you're still going to be alive um, for a long time. We're living longer. And yes, you're going to have to have some risk assets to keep pace with the cost of living. Uh, what's your mix? Depends on your risk tolerance and your comfortability. But yeah, you're definitely going to need investments. And it's the same investments that, that, that I've mentioned before. Right, we just put them together in a way that uh, is appropriate for uh, your risk tolerance and the money you need to make throughout retirement. Here are some general questions. Uh, how do you determine when you can truly retire and live the same lifestyle? Oh, this is actually like a really simple one. You just write out, like, really write out how much money you want to come in per month to be comfortable. Start with today right if, if if you're comfortable now at least that number and then and then once you know that number it's a cool trick you can just multiply by 20 so for example if you if you need ten thousand a month right so then we first figure out ten thousand a month is a hundred thousand hundred twenty thousand a year multiply hundred twenty thousand a year you get um, by 20 you get 2.4 million and so 2.4 million is roughly what you would need to generate you know, 20,000 a year, um, I'm sorry, 120,000 a year of income, right? And what I multiply by, you know, by 20, it's just a, um, uh, it's just this, 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 this math trick where you just, you know, you, uh, at a, at a, at a 4% withdrawal rate, um, um, not 4% at a, uh, dang it, what did I do? Oh, you got me. I got these rules, and I didn't. I, I didn't forget why I do it now. Hold on. Uh, times five, five. Yeah, five. It's assuming a five percent withdrawal rate. Um. So a five percent withdrawal rate. Um. So let's use some simple math. So a million dollars, five percent withdrawal rate, fifty grand a year. Right, fifty grand a year times twenty is a million dollars. So it's easy conversion back and forth to to a five percent withdrawal rate, which is a you know relatively safe amount of money you can draw from from a portfolio, uh, depending on how it's invested, and make sure that you uh, don't run out. But like, forget all that math. Just know how much do you need to be comfortable today? Multiply it by twenty. That gives you a rough estimate of the number. If you don't have a wealth manager with sophisticated planning software, you know, like we do to help clients figure out the number but it's all around like your current lifestyle and what it takes uh, for for you to live uh, on the money now I, I like to have like minimum goals and then stretch goals so if this is your minimum goal then you say okay cool but i want to do more than ten thousand a month like for us to travel and do everything i need 15 20 cool like like 2.4 million is the is the first goal but then we want to ultimately have 4.8 million, 
right, as a goal. But you build from there. And again, this is just talking about just this is just talking about like the math of like having money saved up. The other part is you can you can easily be in the position to uh, retire and live your same lifestyle by just saying, is there another? Can I make ten thousand dollars a month doing something else in a more flexible way? Right? Because if imagine making ten thousand a month working ten hours a week podcasting or doing I'm using podcasting as an example, but podcasting uh, working ten hours a week, um, or you can work from wherever you want. Like that's basically retirement, and you don't have to have two point four million to do that. You just have to be. You got to build a business that gives you the ability to do it. And there's in podcasting, not the only business. There's like unlimited businesses that will lie to do that. Um, especially in the most important part is find something you love. Because if you find something you love, then you're never really working anyway. Whether it's ten hours, forty hours, sixty hours. And if you do it where you're flexible, you have the flexibility to do what you want to do. I mean, the sky's the limit. So I hope that helps. Next, let's go to the next question. What age do you need to seek a financial advisor? Um, it's always wise to seek wisdom when you uh, have a question that you don't feel like you can answer about money. So there are no rules. Like when you can afford one and uh, when you're ready. So, and if you don't know if you can afford one, when you think you need one, start interviewing different advisors and learn what you need to learn about how to find the right advisor for you. Um, uh, and an advisor, doesn't, an, an advisor doesn't have to be like somebody with a license. You could find somebody in your family or friends that you know uh, that's good with money and and have them give you advice to get you to the level you want to get to before you feel comfortable talking to a financial advisor. All right, explain the difference between good and bad debt. Um, I, I understand what they're saying. So good debt is debt on consumption, debt on like living. Uh, I'm sorry, that's bad debt. Bad debt is is debt to live your life. And good debt is debt that you're using to make money, debt for investment, right? And that's a plain, vanilla, simple answer, right? There's there's nuances, but that's the basic answer. Next question, how much debt would be considered too much debt? Uh, uh, more debt than you can pay for, right? Debt that makes you worry, debt that makes you wake up uh, in the middle of the night. Uh, that's too much debt. All right, these were all audience questions. So these are all gen more general questions than the ones the audience asked that we could and couldn't answer. Uh, what are the best ways to learn about FIRE? FIRE is like this program that you can, I think I found, I don't, I don't remember where I heard about FIRE. Uh, but the answer is YouTube. It's a program where you can like, the goal is to help people retire early. Um, best way to find information on it is YouTube. It's the YouTube f.i.r.e. You're going to find tons and tons of videos about it and educate yourself on it. Um, but that's where to find it. Conceptually, I think it ties into the question I said before. It's a question about how do I retire early? And my answer for that was like, don't worry about it. Like get in the mindset of having freedom now. And then you have a less desire to defer life until you have X amount of dollars, you know, in some account. Next question. Thoughts on Roth IRAs versus traditional IRA and other um, traditional options. Um, I definitely think if you can do a Roth IRA, you should, because, um, what a Roth does is allow you to take out money without paying taxes in retirement. The trade-off is you don't get to deduct the money that you put into a Roth. 
which is like the reverse of like a traditional IRA for or a traditional 401k where you can, if you put in money, you get to deduct that from your taxes today, but you got to take out or when you take out money from your 401k or, or your traditional IRA in retirement, you have to pay all your taxes on the money you take out then. And working with retired clients, all of them tell me, I wish I would have had more money in the Roth now, right? At, you know, at the time, they were focused on the needs of, of what they needed then. But now they're like, well, man, I need some tax breaks now. You know, so uh, at the, I like, I think the good idea at the very least is if you can do a Roth, maybe do 50-50. But if you can really defer, defer gratification and, and you can, uh, don't mind paying taxes now, like do as much as your money as you can put into Roth uh, now. That's my perspective. Next question. Uh, and, and again, this is, this is, with the caveat of what I said before, I like brokerage accounts over all of them, which provides flexibility and doesn't lock your money up with restrictions. But that wasn't a question. All right. Should I transfer my home in my son's name to help him become more financially independent sooner? Um, this question was tough. because I, I didn't have any context behind the question. Um, so I'm going to spin it in a way where I can bring you bring some value at saying, Hey, I want to help my kids speed up their goals. So should I give them some of the money that I have for my, for my wealth now? If it's a good idea, if you're financially independent and in all kind of worst case scenarios, you don't need to take that money back because if you give your kid the money, then they have an airplane and then something major happens to you down the road and you need help uh, why your kid will help you. You could, you could have just kept the stuff in your estate and, and, and helped your kid along the way while you were still alive if they needed it, but you wouldn't have had to going back and forth on doing it. I think, so I think that's the answer, uh, is, is good. You want to help your kids, but if you, but if you're alive and you control the assets and it's in your possession, you can always help them, um, do what they're trying to do. Uh, I, I don't, you know, you can still get the result by keeping it. But if you're worth $100 million and this is a million dollar property and you make a million dollars a month, you know, give them the property. Who? It's like, it's, it's nothing. Uh, but maybe, I don't think that was the context of this question. Um, or the, I'm saying the person, I don't know if the person was, had a $100 million estate. But that that's the answer. Like, just uh, don't, what what, the, what I say in an airplane, if the airplane's going down, put your mask on first. Yeah. Put your mask on first. Don't put your kid's mask on. Cause if, right. If, if you can't breathe and you definitely can't help them. Um, should I get stu uh, student loans? I answered that question. Uh, I answered that question. I answered that question. I answered that question. How much do I need to invest in a brokerage account? So I mentioned a brokerage account or individual account before numerous times. There's no, there's no, from for the account type, there's no minimum. Uh, different brokers or different advisors and wealth managers may have minimums, but the actual account doesn't have any minimums. Um, I hope that, hope that helps. Are there any penalties for giving my kids money? Um, no, there are gift taxing rules that you want to make sure you follow. And your CPA can help you with those, but you can give away quite a bit of money uh, to your kids a year without triggering that. And then we have a quite a big a bit of a large total exemption 
that I feel like and I believe is north of five million, but talk to your CPA about that, that we can give in our lifetime without triggering any any gift taxes or penalties of any sort for giving money to our kids or grandkids. Last question. Thoughts on needing long-term care insurance? Oh, wait, I did I answered that question too. Oh, so that's all the questions. Uh, so I hope um, this helped uh, for my regular audience and definitely for the ladies of Delta Sigma Theta that are watching this. If you have more questions, do not hesitate to email me at philip at philipwashingtonjr.com. And I also feel like I promised to give my email for my podcasting um, podcasting course which is check out philipwashingtonjr.com. That's philipwashingtonjr.com. Until next week, y'all enjoy yourself.